Well, good morning. Welcome. If this is your first time, we're glad that you could be here. Uh, my name is David. I'm one of the pastors here. Ruben uh, is also a pastor here. Uh, he's going to be teaching in our Spanish service in the next hour. Um, God has, is doing a new work here. It is new because we've only just started as of January, um, but he has brought two languages together in one hope of Jesus Christ. We are one family here sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for what he's doing. We're going through a series right now um, called Ambassadors, looking at how we are ambassadors for Jesus Christ in the community around us and in the relationships that we have that God has put us in. We're an ambassador uh, for the hope of Jesus Christ, for the message of reconciliation. And as we've been going through that, we've been looking at memory verses. Um, and our first memory verse is, was in Romans 3.23. Um, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's where we start in the gospel, knowing that all of us have sinned. We're all sinners. And the wages of sin, in, in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. And we looked at the love of God towards us, which is shown in Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, the next one that we covered is not the next one I'm going to show here because if you are guiding someone through the gospel message, there's an important one at this point to cover, which answers the question. So there's this free gift. How do I get this free gift? How am I saved? What do I need to do to be saved? And we see that also in Romans, in chapter 10 and verse 9. And this will be our verse to take home for today, Romans 10, 9. Let's read it a few times. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the expression of faith in Jesus Christ. One more time, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And then once we have expressed and we have truly in our heart put our faith in Jesus Christ, there is an incredible truth that was our memory verse last week that we can know for sure Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord for that. I hope that God gives you opportunity to share your faith. One of the strongest things that we have, it's actually given at the end of the Bible. It says they overcame the devil by the blood of Christ and the word of their testimony. Praise the Lord for the testimony he's given every single one of you of the work, the saving work that he has done in your life. There's a few ladies in our church um, who've been going through uh, an intense training program, uh, training center. I went through it myself um, under Pastor Jonathan over at Fellowship Church. Um, they, they are putting in hours, I think, uh, by the end of this first half of it, they will have uh, memorized a uh, summary purpose of every single 
a book in the Bible. They have looked at, at the overall scope of what God is doing in the Bible. They they'll have memorized over the locations of over 300 ministry passages to apply to your life out of every book of the Bible. Um, it's quite an undertaking, but it's something that they're doing to be better equipped to do what God has called them to do, to know God better and to be able to do that better. An important part of also what they've been covering is how to share their testimony, uh, how, to share, how to boil it down to just a minute if you're going to just share your testimony with somebody in line or how to just be able to take your testimony into any context. Um, and so I have asked one of these ladies, um, it is not easy to share your testimony in front of people, especially those that you know, um, but she's agreed to share her testimony, not the one-minute version, um, <laughs> but can you guys welcome Tara up to the stage as she shares her testimony for us this morning? Good morning, Hope Church. Um, a couple weeks ago, David asked me to share my testimony, and immediately, um, my heart just filled with fear. Uh, it's not something that I enjoy doing, speaking in front of people. Um, but then he gave a couple sermons that week and the week following, which really just convicted me that, you know, darkness can't live in the light. And everything that we go through in our lives has a purpose, and it's for his purpose. So um, just bear with me. Uh, this is uh, not too long in my past. Um, about 10 years ago, I found myself really in a battle, um, in a daily battle with addiction, um, with alcohol addiction. And again, sorry, my husband's sitting right there. Um, and it affected every part of our lives. It was affecting our kids. It was affecting our livelihood, our business. Um, it was affecting our safety. Um, it was affecting our marriage uh, to the point where at one point he actually gave me one last, one last chance uh, to, try and, to try and do something about this because uh, if our marriage was gone, I was going to lose my kids. It was very obvious that that was going to happen. Um, and everything that I held dear. Um, I've always known that Jesus is our Savior. Um, I've, with this, I went through um, your traditional 12-step uh, programs. I went through uh, outpatient treatments. I went away from my family for a month trying to fix my problem. Um, it was something that I had actually maybe grown prideful of, maybe um, taken on myself. It became my identity. And it was something that I was trying to fix in my own power, in my own strength. And... Then all of that failed. It all failed. Everything that I tried to do to fix me failed. Um, now, our Pastor Jonathan over at uh, Fellowship was going through the Book of Romans. And if anybody remembers going through the Book of Romans, it took like a year and a half. Um, but then July 12th, you, you remember days, I remember days as well. Um, July 12th of 2015, something that he said in that sermon, which my ears were not listening to, my heart heard. And I, I went home that day, and I had two prayers. One was that God could soften my husband's heart one last time so that he could hang on. And two, as I was, you know, sitting in my living room on the floor, 
I begged, I begged God to take it from me. And for the first time, I admitted to him that I couldn't do it. I was not enough. And that day, he took it. Y'all, I can't explain it. There's no other way other than God took it. I gave it to him, and he took it. And it's been a little over four years. Um, That day, I'm 100% convinced that he gave me the Holy Spirit and filled that spot where that desire for alcohol, for anything, where that desire that was outside of him was. And the Holy Spirit lives in that spot. And he's been with me every single day since. So what I want you guys to possibly take away from this today is that there is always hope. There is hope in Jesus. What he did at the cross, he did for me. He did for every single one of you. And I just want you to know that whatever it is that you're going through, he is bigger. He is so much bigger than our problems. He is bigger than anything we can ever take to him. But you have to give it to him. You have to give it to him and know that he is willing to take it. Just don't go seek it back. Don't try and take it back from him. Um, you know, you guys, the love that, that he has for us is immense. And just know every single day that he is there for you just the way that he's there for me. And thank you for letting me share as much as this was horrible. <laughs> We're good. good. Praise the Lord. Thank you for sharing your testimony. God is our Savior. When we put our faith and trust in him, he is there to carry us. He's there to carry my sister. He's there to carry me. He's there to carry each of us. His salvation doesn't, it's, it's so much more than just saving us, which is incredibly saving us from the ultimate judgment day. We covered that. Um, but giving us life, he, we, we just looked already at his love for us, his grace in our lives, and, and the ways that he is, is, is even now working in us to free us from sin. But it gets even better. There's something that's, that's in addition to all of that that God has done for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. He has adopted every person who has put their faith in Jesus Christ. This is, this is something even more than everything else. And I think we don't necessarily give it enough attention to the truth and the implications of the fact that we are adopted now by God into his family. Look at this picture. That little kiddo that I'm holding up there, that's our oldest, Andy. This was his adoption finalization. That's the judge there wearing black and and a whole bunch of family that came to celebrate this moment when our first child, we adopted, oh boy. Wasn't expecting that. Um, there's, There's testimony behind this as well. It was final, legally final. He took my name. He was my son. His future would be in our hands, part of our family. All of these people became his family on that day legally. 
There's, there's aunts and cousins and, and grandma and grandpa. It, it, it was a joyous, rejoicing moment as he became a part of our family. It was real. It was legal. It was final. It could not be undone that he was our family. He was my son. Do you realize that in the moment that you put your faith in Christ, you become family? And it's a much stronger legal position than what the state of California could do. It's a legal position that's set by the Spirit of God eternally that you are God's son. You're God's child, son or daughter. We're going to look this morning in Romans chapter 8. Boy, Romans is a great book when you're looking at salvation (laughs) and the hope that we have in Christ. Um, Read with me in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Let's pray. Father, Thank you for the, the glory of your, your grace in our lives, God, that, that we are your children. God, I, I pray that this morning you would help us to understand that better. God, that we would be encouraged and, and strengthened in this knowledge that we are your children and what that means. God, help us to know that to a greater degree this morning by your word of truth. In Jesus' name. We are God's children. What is the significance of adoption in the Bible? I've got three points that may seem very obvious. Um, But I don't think we dig deep enough practically in our lives of what they really mean. The first point is that all believers are family. All believers are family. My sister Tara, the moment she put her faith in Christ, became my sister. Not just to say that, but in the same sense that that Andy became family with us, actually in a greater sense. Each of you, when you put your faith in Christ, you became family. When we say that this is a church that has two languages and one hope and we're one family, we're not just saying that. It's, It's a reality. It's a truth. By the power of the Holy Spirit, it has become a a truth that everyone who has put their faith in Christ is family. These are your brothers and sisters. There's a reason why we say brother and sister. There's an eternal reason why we say that. And the moment you put your faith in Christ, you became family with those who are in not just uh, Hispanic culture and Anglo culture, but all over the world, there are people who have also put their faith in Christ and they became your brothers and sisters. And there's something incredible when you go on a missions trip into a place that you've, you've never been in a culture like that and you meet someone who has the spirit of God in them. They have put their faith in the same God that you have put your faith in and you can know and sense the glory of 
this is my brother and sister. This is a person who also serves the same living God and, and deals with the same sin problems that I do and has been saved just as I have and is looking forward to the same glory that I am. There's something really cool about that. Today is the International Day of Prayer where Christians all over the world are lifting up our brothers and sisters who are persecuted. Today, persecuted. I, I spent some time to, to read through. There's, um, I don't know if we have the website address. There's a website address uh, that is icommittopray.com slash requests. If you go there, uh, there there's, it's like a blog post. It's these constant requests coming through from around the world of those who are enduring persecution. Um, and you can read, and people post prayers in there to respond to those requests. And I just, I just read through those that are only there from the month of October, um, and there's requests from Nepal, from Sri Lanka, from, from Cameroon, from India, Iran, Indonesia, Vietnam, Egypt, Algeria, Laos, Uganda, and Jordan. For the month of, of October, requests coming in from all those locations, prayer requests where there's... There's new converts to Christ who, who are giving a testimony that, that even, even though now you know, they're traveling all these miles to go to a church and the town that they're in, the small village that they're in, they're now enduring persecution from their landlord, from those in the town, but they're just full of joy because of what God is doing in their life that they are now in Christ. And they're asking for prayer. They're enduring persecution. There's those who have had to watch in the month of October, have to, had to watch a father and a daughter, had to watch a mother be put to death. As you consider, it's our brothers and sisters around the world. These are really those that are a family. And as, if you let that sink in, it's so hard because... If it's not immediately in our circle, we don't get it. But if you take some time to just meditate on the, the reality that these are our brothers and sisters, and this was just this past month that all these things are happening, um, then we have a heart to pray as we should. Um, there's, there is a video I want to show. Um, it's the second half of it. I don't have time to show the whole thing. Uh, but it's, it's of this Pastor Han, who's, who's actually a, a pastor uh, or he was a pastor in China. Uh, there were those in North Korea. North Korea is an, an incredible uh, place of persecution. They're, they're taught from early on that Christians are terrorists and <laughs> they, will, they will get you into their home and they'll eat your liver. I don't know where that came from. But, but there's, this, there's this persecution going on, a view of Christians that, that is there in North Korea. And there's this man who was sneaking across the mountains into China to try to find mushrooms to, that he could come back and sell in the marketplace to try to earn something for his family who was starving. And in the mountains, China, he met this pastor, Pastor Han. Um, listen with me, this testimony. One day, Pastor Han said to me, God is real. There is hope for every person. I could not believe he would say that word. God, nobody says that word. We know it is an act of treason. 
To speak the name of God can lead to soldiers coming in the night. One day I asked Pastor Han for a Bible. He knew that if I was caught with a Bible, my life would be in danger. But over time, I persuaded him. I showed the Bible to my wife. At first, she refused to even look at it. Why would you bring that here, she cried. She knew that if anyone reported that you had even glanced at a Bible, you would be arrested, and not just you. You and all your relatives sent to the concentration camps for years and years and years. Over time, my wife too learned that God is real. She found hope. And then I shared the word of God with my best friend. It was very dangerous for me to share. It was very dangerous for him to listen. One day in the summer of 2016, we heard that some North Korean assassins were being honored by the government, rewarded for their good work for killing a terrorist missionary in Changbai. We knew it was Pastor Han. Who else could it be? We, we were frightened. Did they know he was my friend? Did they know I had met with him many times? Pastor Han gave his life. But he gave hope to me and to many other North Koreans. And despite the ever-present danger, many of us will continue to share the message that God is real. We hope that our sacrifice, when the day comes, will be worthwhile, just like it was for Pastor Han.
forth our family. Let's, let's lift them up right now in prayer. Father, thank you for the honor of being family. The brothers and sisters around the world that follow you so courageously. God, thank you that nothing, not a Korean hit squad, not, not anything can separate them from your love. God, I pray that, that every brother and sister right now, that today is feeling the threat of persecution, is feeling loss from those possibly that have been taken from them. God, that they would feel your presence. God is their father who loves them as, their, as your child. God, that you would encourage them and embolden them. Thank you, God, that in the midst of the darkest persecution, your light is the brightest and your presence is felt the greatest in the lives of your children. God, we worship you, we glorify you. Thank you for your example of enduring persecution on yourself, for the great hope that was set before you. God, I pray that that hope that is set before our brothers and sisters would be bright and that they would feel it to their innermost being, God, the hope that they have in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. We have family in Christ. That's part of what it means to be adopted. We're their family. We can pray for each other and lift each other up as family. Another very obvious but important truth of what it means to be adopted is that God is our Father. God is our Father. What's the significance of that? In verse 15, it says, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. God, there's many ways that we know and describe God as, as our sovereign Lord, as the righteous judge, as, as the one who, who sent his son to love us and die for us. It, there's, there's many ways that we describe God, but there's this most intimate way, I think, that we describe and know God is as our father. He is our father. When it says in the Bible, don't worry about what you're gonna eat, what you're gonna drink tomorrow, what you're gonna wear. Why is that? Because our father knows that we need those things. My son shouldn't be worrying about what he's going to eat or drink or wear because I'm his father and I love him and I'm going to care for him and make sure he has what he needs. As an imperfect father, I know how to give my son good things, my daughter, good things. Our father knows how to give us good things. He has given us his Holy Spirit what better gift than that? The gift of the Holy Spirit that he's put into our lives. Just as I also discipline my son, my daughter, because of a purpose that I have for them in the future, God disciplines us. In Hebrews 12, it says, when, when you have that discipline in your life, realize that it's the Father who loves you, who's disciplining you as a son. It's, it is the goodness of our Father that is treating us as his child. Just as Christ, as God's son, endured persecution, endured everything up to the cross 
for a glorious purpose that was ahead of him. Now, as those adopted, we also are going to suffer along with Christ in this life, but with the hope of glory that we have set ahead of us. When I was, uh, well, I forget how many years ago, eight years ago, seven years ago, something like that. There was a time when God was just working in my life to just impress on me a desire to know him better. It was, it was a significant point in my life where there was going to be change following. That change ultimately led to us moving to Texas. Um, and in that time, the most special thing that was different to me was to call God Father. I used to pray and start my prayers with Lord. It's okay to pray and call him Lord. But it became something incredibly special and intimate to say, Father, and to just meditate on what that meant, that I was calling God Almighty my Father. Do we spend time with the Father as Christ spent time with the Father, as our Father who loves us? Finally, we are God's children. Another very obvious thing. But boy, I do not have time to get into the full implications of what this means. That we are God's children. What does it mean that we are God's children? What's the significance that we are God's children? See, a child, uh, it's, all, it's about being a son, being a daughter. And, and when the Bible talks about being a son, it's talking about being in the likeness of, having the character of being in the image of the one they are a son of. And when I go back, we're going to go through some verses here in Romans 8, and it gets wide. It's talking from Genesis to Revelation. It's the big picture of what God is about. And adoption and becoming a child of God is not just this extra thing. It's a part of God's incredible, majestic plan it is an eternal plan of what he's doing. If I go back to the Garden of Eden, God created us in his image, in his likeness. What does it mean to be in his image? Well, it doesn't mean anything that, would, that we see as distinctions between each other. We are all in his image. It has nothing to do with our race, nationality, male, female. He made us male and female in his image. What does that mean? I don't know the fullness of what it means, but I can see that God is love and he created beings who are capable of love. God is majestic and beautiful and he created beings that are able to appreciate art and beauty and things that, that are just, he created us to worship. We're beings that, that are attracted to something that is greater than ourselves. If you don't believe that, watch people that are surrounding a football game. Or, or surrounding American Idol, or surrounding something where they love to be a part of and cheer on something greater than themselves. You know, God put that in us because we are created to be worshipers of God, to relate with God. God has created us uh, in, as eternal beings. He is himself an eternal being, and he's, he's created us as eternal beings. He's, he's spirit, and he's put us uh, together as spiritual beings. There's so many ways that God has created us that, that are in his image. 
And if you look at what was there at the beginning, we perfectly were an image of God in our character, in our being, and God put us over the world. God is a sovereign God, and his image he put as sovereign over his creation. We were, in the glory of God, put as his image to rule over his creation. That was majestic glory, purpose of God that we were created to be in. And then the fall. And we no longer perfectly exemplified God, though we are still in his image. And we should look at each other as being in God's image. Uh, the first example of capital punishment was right there after Noah. And, and the reason that if you were to take another person's life, that your life should be taken is because you took the life of someone made in the image of God. That was the reason for capital punishment. Boy, we need to see each other not as our differences, but we need to treat each other in light of the fact that this person is the image of God, and it's, it's a fear of God that should, that should direct how I treat this person. But it's sonship. It's, it's being a child of God that, that's connected to being an image of God. And in fact, if we look at the genealogy in Luke that goes from Christ all the way back to Adam, it's this person, son of this person, son of this person, Adam, son of God. That's curious to call him son of God. It's because he, he is the image of God, made in the likeness of God. When, when Adam and Eve had Seth, uh, they, they were praising the Lord. They called him seed. That's the name, what Seth means. And it's in faith that they're looking at God's promise because even in the curse, uh, God said, no, the, the seed of the woman is going, is going to crush the snake. It's this promise looking forward because what happened in that rule? We had been ruling over God's creation, but then we lost that. Satan became the God of this world, the one who's ruling over creation. But God had a promise, a plan, ultimately, that his image would again rule over creation. And there's so many things that all throughout the Bible that we can see that I don't have time to get into. Just, just how incredible it is, the promise to Abraham and, and, and Israel itself. I mean, he says, I called my son out of Egypt. He says that in Hosea, speaking of Israel, a nation. Son, the, the, see, Israel was called to be holy, set apart to God, to, to have his image shown within a world that was not holy, that was, that was unrighteous. And, and people who, who are no longer considered sons of God, because if we look in Ephesians 2, what do we call Sons of disobedience. Children of wrath. That's what we became from the curse. And, and the world that, that was also cursed because, those, because we who were ruling over it through our sin, now everything that we ruled over also was cursed. Within the glory of God's plan was that seed promised. Who's in the line of Seth, who then ultimately came to Noah, came to Abraham, into a people that were a type of, an example but, but not the ultimate son, not the ultimate image of God that would rule over the world, 
But then finally, God would send himself, the son of God. And very curiously, Jesus called himself the son of man. He was the perfect Adam. He was the perfect image bearer. He was perfectly displaying the image of God. And then Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He he provided the way for us to be justified uh, with respect to our sin, our disobedience to God. And then what happened? He was raised and he was seated as ruler over all things, over creation, the image of God ruling over all. You see God's return to a plan. And then what does it say? It says that everyone who receives him, who believes in his name, has been given the right to be called children of God. Do you see God's purpose in restoring? But now to a future that's not just us as God's image, but us together in Christ. We will rule with him with God himself over a new heaven and a new earth. And and so to even grasp what's happening in Romans, we got to take the whole Bible. I, I mean, the genealogies are important. Do you see why genealogies are important? The son of, the son of, the son of, that's God's image being transmitted through the ages. It's the son of is an important thing. Children adopted, those are all important words in the process of what God is doing ultimately to set up the rule of his image, of his people, of humanity as he created it to rule over his creation. So let's look in chapter 8, starting in verse 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Do you kind of get the significance of that in light of the whole picture? to be heirs with Christ and the purpose that God had there from the beginning in Eden, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Amen. Even even for my brothers and sisters in Korea, the suffering that they have at this present time is nothing to be compared with the glory that will be revealed to us. For the creation, the creation that was cursed. When we were cursed, the ground was cursed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revelation of the sons of God. You see the connection? The sons of God, the image bearers of God. The creation is waiting that, that, these, that these image bearers are going to ultimately be revealed and everything is going to be put back into the order that God designed. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God, the image bearers of God. That glory is also something creation itself is looking forward to. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So in a sense, the adoption is not full yet. Why? Because we don't fully exude the image of God yet. We're still being made holy. Do you see why it's important when God says, you need to be holy because I am holy? 
You need to be perfect because I am perfect. It's a purpose that is future, that is glorious, that is amazing. And it's like with my child, with Andy, when I say, uh, you know, I, what do I want for him? I want for him to grow up to be a man who loves the Lord, who finds a wife who also loves the Lord and, and is successful in life. I have a purpose that I would like for him. And he doesn't understand sometimes what I'm doing now is towards that purpose. So many times we don't understand what God is doing in our life, but it's towards a purpose that is glorious. When he's saying, be holy because I am holy, it's, he's drawing us into being an image of God, being his image bearers even now, but we only taste it through the Holy Spirit. We're only getting the first fruits. There's taste of what it's going to be like, but we do get to taste it. Praise the Lord for that. In verse 24, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. This is a future thing we're hoping for. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And, and the context of this is looking forward to that hope, knowing that, that there, there's something actually that we can't fully know. I can't wrap my mind around what it's going to be like to be a co-heir with Christ, ruling over a new heaven and a new earth with him. There's glory there that I cannot understand. And as I'm trying to pray for what's happening now in my life, it, connecting those two things is, is really difficult, and I don't know what to pray for. But the Spirit helps me in that. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he searches hearts. And he who searches hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The will of God, our Father, who is growing us up to a purpose that is eternal to be image bearers. And we see that now. I hope that you see Romans 8:28 in a new light because sometimes it's hard to see how what God is working around us is for our good. This is the context of Romans 8:28. And we know that for those who love God, all things all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you see his eternal purpose that was set there at the very beginning, at the foundation of the world, and we see just a, a barely the image of the glory of what it's going to be ultimately in eternity. That is his purpose that he is working. And so we get to verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he knew you. He chose you. Just as, as I chose Andy to be my son. It wasn't his choice. He foreknew, those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's what it means to be adopted. To be conformed to the image of his son, who is the image of God. To be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers, brothers and sisters to a purpose that's eternal that God has set. It is difficult to connect 
the eternal purpose of God from Genesis to Revelation to Monday morning. It's very difficult to understand what happens on Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday in light of the purpose that God is working. How do I understand that? How do I understand when, when I'm just dealing with, with a difficult person or a difficult relationship in my, in my family or, or at my workplace, how this has anything to do with God's purpose? But Romans 8.28 says that God's working all things for the good, which means that even though I don't understand it, I can trust that just as I'm asking my children to trust me, as I have a purpose that they don't understand yet, God is saying, trust me, even in the bad things, even in the things that are hurtful, even in the things that, that you're going, God, that, this doesn't make any sense at all, that he is growing you to be his image bearer. He is growing you to be in the likeness of Jesus to a purpose that we are gonna get to enjoy, a glory that we're gonna get to enjoy as sons and daughters of the Father, as joint heirs with the King. I can't imagine what it's gonna be like, but it's gonna be good. I, I just pray that we would take a fresh perspective of whatever it is we're going through right now and know that our Father in heaven loves us. And he is a sovereign God. He is in control. And he is caring for us and using everything for our good. Let's worship Jesus. Celebrate what it means to be a child of God. Amen, I am a child of God. Praise you, Lord. God, you have made us your children. God, and we have something to sing about. We have something to praise you and worship you, God, because we are called your children. God, and we are also ambassadors to those who don't know you. It is your purpose. It was your purpose in sending your son to call sinners to yourself, not only to be reconciled to you, God, but to be called your children, to be adopted into your family. And there's those in our community, God, that you want to be reconciled to you, that you want to adopt into this family, to also share in the joy of faith that we share in. God, I pray that you would use us to that purpose. God, we can't do it on our own. But we can do it through the power of Christ that works in us through your Holy Spirit. So God, we pray that you would work that in us as a body to reach out to our neighbors as ambassadors. God, we love you. We praise you. Lord, help us to see every day the hope that we have in you, that you're working in us. It's in Jesus' holy name that we pray. Amen.